You're listening to Turbo Youth on Redshift with me, Jonathan Frischer. And me, Ben Philippin. On each podcast, we will share with you reviews of films, books, places and gadgets. With challenges, jokes and homework tips along the way, this is a fun podcast to make your day. Hi, I'm Jonathan Frischer and with me is... Ben Philippin. I'm 10 and... I'm 11 next Saturday. Ben, so what have you been up to this week? Well, I've painted a very dramatic kind of picture of a Spitfire. (laughs) Oh yeah, I saw that. That was really good. Thank you. It's a Messerschmitt, which was a German plane in the World War II. And it's bursting in flames and the Spitfire shooting it down. So I've also been... We've got a Lolo ball at home and Hmm. that is... For those who don't know what a Lolo ball is, it is a... um, a ball, like an oval ball, and it's the same on each side, and it's got a disc, a plastic disc around it, and you grip it with your feet. Better if you have trainers on, just as you can get listers. Mm. But, yeah, you hold on to it with your feet and jump up and down. So, over to you, Jonathan. Um, the main thing I've been doing this week is, well, firstly, working on the podcasts, and secondly... Every Thursday night, in case you didn't know, we're clapping for the NHS and key workers. So, firstly, I've made three rainbows for the NHS to put in the windows. I've made one. Mm, Because they have two trails, the rainbow trail and the teddy bear trail, where you put all your teddies in the window. I've done that in my window and, Mm. yeah. Um, And secondly, every Thursday when we clap for the NHS and key workers, um, me and Dave and my next door neighbour we've all been playing our instruments so I play the clarinet like you heard last week for What's Your Talent my brother plays the trumpet and my next door neighbour plays the French horn so last week we played Ode to Joy and this week we played um, We'll Meet Again so after we play for our stream me and my brother go to the um, the sheltered housing and we play for all them. And then also this week, because it was Captain Tom's 100th birthday, Ben will tell you more about Captain Tom about later, our street, we got Bluetooth speakers all the way along the street and then we played his, um, we played his number one hit, which is called You'll Never Walk Alone. It's really, really good. So we played that and then we went to the sheltered housing, which we both enjoyed. So now Jonathan and I are going to be interviewing John Parkin, who was 10 years old when VE Day happened over 75 years ago. During the war, what foods were rationed? Uh, The food mainly rationed uh, was sugar, uh, biscuits, all sweets, flour, um, jam, the meat, no chicken, and very little other meat was all on a coupon. You only have so much for your allowance with, with what coupons you've got. Uh, so many allowed for each house. And uh, then uh, there was no such thing as bananas or oranges. Uh, no fruit whatsoever, foreign fruit you could get there. Um, or grapes. Uh, but we never went short of food. Um, we're fortunate living in the country and we'd kill a pig each year, so we were all right, really. Wait for meat then. 
Um, and uh, the times were hard, but we were very happy, never went short of anything at all, and never hungry. Regarding in the forces, I had an uncle who was in the Battle of... Yeah. What was your favourite rationed meal? My favourite meal was probably my evening meal. I, I, evening meal, ration, would be either meat and vegetables, I suppose. What was it like on VE Day, 75 years ago? Uh, I was 13 uh, the day of VE, uh, and I remember uh, we had a small competition in the village and we decorated the bicycles and took down red, white and blue. Um, it was quite an occasion. And they had extra, all the pubs were open extra, and uh, a, a lot of parties went on. Were any of your family involved in the war, and were you ever evacuated? Uh, during the war, a lot of farmers were exempt, uh, depending how many were in the family. But we had the clocks altered for an extra hour, summertime, to get the harvest in. So it was light at night till between 11 and 12. Uh, and but I did have one uncle who was in the Battle of Britain, and he is mentioned in London on the yeah, the Battle of Britain War Memorial, Gordon, and uh, uh, and he retired to Benson where he gave private uh, flying lessons. Uh, my grandfather had been in the First World War, but he was too old to be in the Second World War. Um, I, my mother was one of a big family, and uh, she had two brothers. Uh, in the war, uh, and that my father's brother that was in the Battle of Britain, on my mother's side, um, she's one in the army and one in the air force. Oh, and a sailor that got killed, uh, his ship was port, uh, torped, uh, torpedoed in 1942. And your farming family side, what did they do in the war? Uh, well, it made yes, it was small farms and just produced food. It kept pigs, um, a bit of beef, um, milk by hand. Uh, a lot of land girls were about uh, to help because all the men had been taken in the war, um, majority. Um, so it very limited labour. And a lot was done with horses because you couldn't get the fuel for the tractors. Um, my first memory, I was evacuated in a sense of my grandparents in Shropshire because my parents lived down south where it was quite dangerous. And my first memories is Neville Chamberlain coming back in 1939. I can just remember uh, on the wireless, the plane arriving. And he said, I've come back and more or less made out he'd settled things with Hitler. And the next thing we heard, war was declared. And I don't remember a lot other than many times going into the cellar when we heard the German bombs come over. We could always tell the dr drone of the planes, whether they were English or German. And uh, we were very lucky living where I did in Shropshire. We didn't have a lot of trouble. The odd bomb was dropped, but it was pretty fairly quiet. Uh, and then, of course, after the war, as I said, the celebrations of uh, V-Day. So who do you think was the best singer at the time? Well, to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot about singing at the time. A, we only had a small wireless. There was no such thing as television, of course. We just a small wireless. I can remember 
um, hear Vera Lynn singing, and there used to be a programme called ITMA with Tommy Hanley. Uh, he was very popular. He used to come on every Saturday. He used to look forward to that. And then there was another uh, uh, comedy, well, not a comedy, a play on television called uh, Dick Barney's Special Agent. And that was a great thing. We listened to every night. Did you like Vera Lynn's music? Very much, yes. I like Vera uh, Lynn's songs very much. Very good, yeah. For those of you that don't know, on Friday or the 8th of May, it is VE Day, which is Victory in Europe Day for World War II. It's been 75 years. So if you meant to, if you can, have a garden party with a barbecue or something like that on the 8th. So stay at home, don't go and socialise. But, um, yeah, so we meant to have garden parties and we're going to play some music, some World War II music. So it's been 75 years. Okay, so I've got a poem for Victory in Europe now. Victory in Europe, 50 years ago. To some, it doesn't mean a thing. It happened long ago. It's just a thing they talk about. Those old men down the street. Today's kids cannot understand. They never felt the heat. They never knew the torment, the heartache, pain and death. They've never seen a soldier that's fighting for his breath. The victory in Europe was certainly hard won. For who lost a brother, a father or a son? For men who gave the ultimate upon some foreign land. A poppy for a headstone now growing in the sand. This victory in Europe about which now I write. It made me free. I'm glad I didn't have to go and fight. I'm thankful that those old men, the ones still living yet, keep talking of VE Day and won't let us forget. That was written in May 1995 by John Carter Brown. Ben is now going to say some things about Captain Tom. So Captain Tom Moore, as we all pretty much know, that Captain or Colonel Tom Moore has... Oh yeah, he's a colonel now. He's a colonel, yeah. ...is a true hero and an inspiration to most people. Mm-hmm. Captain Moore closed his donating page at midnight on the 30th of April 2020. He closed the site because he wanted to walk 100 laps of his garden before he turned 100 and his aim was to raise over a thousand pounds and he's now raised over 32 million and 100% of the money he's raised will go all to the NHS. Can I just say the reason why he has got so famous is because he's a hundred and he did have coronavirus and he yeah he did have coronavirus and he managed to fight it so that's why he's raised so much money from it i thought he was um recovered from a hip hop maybe both what an amazing man but um so on this 100th he received a telegram from the queen most of you have probably watched it time and time again yeah the bbc breakfast show which was about an hour and a half of just talking about tom yeah, that was amazing. And he's he received a telegram from the Queen, like a lot of British residents do from the Queen when yeah. they were turn a hundred. And can I also say, um, I just want to say something about VE Day, and then Ben oh, can yeah, go back okay. to Captain Tom. Um, we want to see at Redshift. We want to see. Of um, videos of you, thirty seconds to ninety seconds long, so half a minute to one and a half minutes long, 
of you enjoying the day, um, send them to studio at redshiftonline.org. So that is studio at redshiftonline.org because we want to see your videos of you enjoying VE Day. Back to Ben with Captain Tom now. So just a bit more on what Jonathan said. Mm -hmm. They will get sent to my auntie Liz who runs Redshift and then she'll post them and then she'll send them to us from home. And Mm -hmm. then so back to Tom Moore. He's received a telegram from the Queen, a medal from the Queen, and which is granted him a bravery, I think, medal. And he's granted and a think, colonel, not a captain. I think Boris um, Johnson rang him on his birthday as well, or, or something like that. Mm. Well, um, and he received a very special flyover from the RAF, including a World War Two Spitfire and a World War Two Hurricane, which I would love to be <laughs> next door to him as... Yeah, I've never seen one, but even then, uh, an award from Nan- uh, the English cricket team, and mm. they gave him an a English cricket cap and a membership for the rest of his life to go and see any. Wow! I think it was <laughs> to see any cricket games that they hold or they go to play, like in Lords and yeah. things like that. So we'll be lucky when it comes up to the. Uh, Cricket World Cup. So mm. I'm going to say a bit about his life now. Not yep. much, but um, so Thomas Moore, Captain Tom or Colonel Tom. Now he served in India and the Burma campaign during the Second World War. He later became an instructor in armoured welfare. After the Second World War, he worked as managing director of a concrete company, and he was an avid motorcycle racer. Can I add a thing? Have yeah. you finished? Or? Yeah, I finished. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, well, he on the BBC Breakfast, he was in a show called Blankety Blank, which my mum told me was a bit like Tipping Point or any <laughs> quiz shows up to date now, back in nineteen, back in the nineteen eighties or nineties. So he was played on it, and he was fifties. In his fifties. Wow. And he was on it, and he didn't win that. anything. But he, well, he, not like these game shows today. If you don't go through, you don't go home with anything. Yeah. But back then, you got a checkbook and pen from it. But not <laughs> something that you'll keep as a memory. But and also, when Captain Tom started walking, the goal that he set was one thousand pound. He has now got thirty-two million pounds. That is just absolutely astounding. And <laughs> in the first twenty-four hours, forty-eight hours, he'd raised over seventy thousand pounds. Wow! Which was <laughs> amazing and That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I might think of doing a when everything calms down, maybe like a sponsored swim or something. Oh yeah, so that's a like really good idea. Hundred lengths of the swimming pool or something. Now it is time for the STEM Challenge with STEM Ambassador Chris Ridge from Air Products. Over to you, Chris. So now me and Jonathan are going to be reviewing how our hovercraft went from our previous STEM Challenge from Chris Ridge. So, Jonathan, how did your hovercraft work? 
Um, well, so Chris said, like you heard last week, he said it's better to use a glue gun. Now, unfortunately, I don't have one of those, so I use super glue. Um, if you can, probably use a glue gun. But if you don't have one, which probably most of you don't have a glue gun, then make sure you do not get the super glue on your hands because that's what happened to me and it was a bit of a sticky mess. So in the end, we actually used double-sided sticky tape and that worked and that worked really well. Um, so, yeah, it went quite well apart from the sticky mess at the beginning. Ben, how did yours go? Mine went really well as well, and um, so it worked by um, a cushion of air, and when the balloon blows out the um, out of the bottom of the disc, it pushes it along a flat surface. We first we tried it on a number of surfaces, first on the car- carpet, and it didn't move at all. Then on the kitchen table, it moved a bit better. Then on the kitchen floor, which is slightly rougher, which... It, yeah, it worked, but it wasn't as great as it could have been. And then finally we did it in the hall and it glided all the way down. So now to Chris. Hey guys, it's Chris Ridge from Air Products here. Just checking in with you on the STEM experiment, the STEM challenge that I set you last week. That was the balloon hovercraft. Did you guys give it a go and did you enjoy it? Well, let's talk about why it works. Well, hovercraft works by forcing air out beneath it, which creates a cushion of air for it to float on. Usually, a hovercraft has a skirt around the base that contains all that air. But because the CD is light enough, then it doesn't need a cushion, so the skirt isn't actually necessary. The balloon acts as a pressurised gas chamber, and when you open the cap, the balloon naturally forces the air out through the cap, creating a thin cushion of air beneath the CD. Now, the reason that the air is forced out is the pressure of air inside the balloon is at a higher pressure than the atmospheric air. And that pressure wants to equalise, so it's going to move from the high pressure within the balloon to the atmosphere. Once you've set it off, nudging the hovercraft along, you might have noticed it zips along the surface like an air hockey puck. That's because air hockey uses exactly the same principle, with the puck floating on a thin layer of air. But in the air hockey case, the air is generated from the table. Um, Whereas in our case, the air is generated from the balloon and forced out that way. Why don't you try pushing the CD along a table without the... uh, just a normal CD, and then push the, the balloon hovercraft along and see the differences. The reason that the CD might move a bit slower or a bit maybe harder to move is because the thin cushion of air from the hovercraft reduces the friction between the CD and the table. Because of that, the hovercraft can reach higher speeds and friction will slow down the movement of any object. So why don't you see if your hovercraft works differently if you open the cap only partially instead of all the way? Why don't you try different sizes of balloons? Does it run for longer on a larger balloon? Or hovercrafts usually work best on smooth surfaces, so can you try it on different types of surfaces and see how it behaves? 
Does it work on brick, on a patio, for example? Is it different from carpet to a table? So give those a try. And uh, yeah, hope you've enjoyed that experiment. Thanks for that, Chris. Now let's hear our STEM challenge for this week, please. Hi guys, Chris Ridge from Air Products here. Just checking in on the STEM challenges I've been setting and I'm ready to set you your next challenge. So, I think we need to answer the age-old question. Is that a hard-boiled egg or a raw egg? How can you tell without cracking it open? Well, I've got a very simple science experiment for you to give that a go. All you're going to need is one hard-boiled egg, one raw egg, a kitchen table, and I'd get a marker pen as well. So, boil the, the hard, get the hard-boiled egg and label it with an H. That way you'll know that's the hard-boiled egg. Then label the raw egg with an R. Now you may be thinking to yourself, Chris, why are you telling us this if the whole idea is to decide, to determine which one is raw and which one's hard-boiled? Well, for this experiment, I want you to know before you do it, and then you can see what the effect is. So next time when you're trying to work it out, you'll know exactly what you're looking for. Spin both the eggs on the kitchen table. What do you notice about them? Spin both of the eggs again. Stop them by putting your finger lightly on the top. What do you notice? Put the raw egg to one side. Spin the hard-boiled egg again, make it spin really fast. What do you notice in that case? So, that's the experiment. Sounds pretty easy, but I think you'll be fascinated with the outcome. Give it a go and I'll check in next week to tell you why it does what it does. Thanks, guys. So now we are reviewing our favourite... Places. places! In the UK. <laughs> yeah, in the UK first. So, Ben, you tell us your favourite place in the UK now. So, my favourite places in the UK are Anglesey, which is an island in North Wales, mm-hmm. and London, which you all know is the capital of <laughs> England. Yeah. I nearly said it was capital of London then. <laughs> I I love going to London because we always go on the train and I love to visit all the sightseeings mm. and tourist attractions like Tower Bridge, Tower of London, um, the rib rides on the Thames are amazing. Mm, I definitely yeah. recommend them. And you all get kitted up and it's re- really good fun. Mm-hmm. And... Also, the RNLI, which most people may may or may not have heard of, but mm. half the children in my class hadn't heard of it. Just wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> only a few because I told them. But um, so for those who don't know what the RNLI is, it's the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Even I didn't know what it stood for. um, It's a charity for saving lives at sea and it helps, well, to get people out of the water if they're drowning or, yeah. So, over to Anglesey now. I love Anglesey just because of the scenery and also because of the RAF Valley there and most people wouldn't appreciate me doing this. But um, it is me using my really good binoculars to spy on RAF. Wow. 
Um, so I sit on the coastline and from so I either sit at the um at the beach at our caravan site and watch them take off or I go to the top of the caravan site and you can see all of RAF and I've seen red arrows taking off, I've seen hawks which are based there, I've seen not Spitfires, unlucky. But um, mm. so Anglesey is connected to the mainland by two bridges. They are the Menai Bridge, which is a suspension bridge, and the Britannia, which is a stone bridge. And there are three or four, three, four RNLI stations in Anglesey. They are Mulfra. Triada Bay, Bumaris, and oh, what is it? Hollyhead. And they're in, there are three or four in London. And the ones around Anglesey, Bumaris, and Triada, not Triada, well, um, Bumaris patrols the Menai Straits, and the other three patrol the Irish Sea. So over to you, Jonathan, to tell you about tell them about your favourite places. Um, firstly, I have not got nowhere near as informa- uh, as much information as Ben. I don't know what I'm going to say. So uh, I'm just going to roll along with it. My favourite place in the UK is duh, 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 Glasgow. Um, because well, firstly, my dad is from Glasgow, or my family's there. But that well. The reason why is I just love everything about it. At Christmas, we always go for Christmas and it's absolutely beautiful. They have a place called George Square. They've got tons of rides. Sometimes they have ice skating. If not, they have a really big um, Ferris wheel that is really, really cool. Um, and it's really high and the decorations are incredible and there's there's tons of markets all around Glasgow at Christmas. But, and there is also an amazing sports place, sports shop that's called Grease. It's a little bit pricey, but it's definitely worth every penny. It is amazing. I went there and I get all my cricket stuff there. Mm. I haven't got any swimming stuff from there yet, but all the I get my equipment. swimming stuff from Not, there. Yeah, so like the pads and that. Yeah. You, well, I get second hand, but helmets they can be up to fifty pounds. <laughs> um, you're putting them on. <laughs> Ignore me. Um, <laughs> so I get all my cricket balls from there, and yeah, definitely worth it. And the restaurants in Glasgow are amazing. There's hundreds of them. So I think um, in the UK, um, Glasgow has the second most shops or cafes, one of them, or restaurants. Um, So it's just amazing. And at night, the city is amazing when you can walk down the main shopping street and it's amazing. Yeah, it's shops. It has the second most shops after London. Um, I was not. I was actually not surprised because it has two massive shopping centres. It has about three humongous shopping streets. So if you want to go shopping, Glasgow is your place. What's the shopping centres called? There's... Um. So it's Saint Enoch. 
Yeah. I'm good at Scottish. <laughs> Scottish. And um, Buchanan Galleries. And then Buchanan, on the, the, there's also the street, Buchanan Silver, Street. Silverburn. Mm. Um, so basically, on this street called Buchanan Street, it's got tons of shops on the street. And it has also got a shopping centre within there. Um, we always stay at the Premier Inn on Buchanan Street. It's really, really good. So if you're staying there, if you're staying in Glasgow, go there. Now it is time for... The Boys Bake Off. Where we will challenge each other to make a recipe and have our families taste it and score it. Here I am with Daddy and I'm going to be asking him what he would rate my apple slash rhubarb crumble out of five stars. So Daddy, what would you rate it? Definitely five out of five. So what did you like so much about it that you'd give it five stars? Well, I liked the cinnamon and the ginger that was on it. I'm not a great fan of rhubarb. I think it can be a bit too um, tart. So... You added enough sugar on it to make it just absolutely perfect. And I actually ate double what I should have done. (laughs) So um, I am also going to be asking Daddy what he would rate the cleanliness of the kitchen after I'd made my crumble out of five stars. So what would you rate it? Oh, definitely five. If I was to do it, it would look like it hadn't been done. So anything better than what I can do makes it a five star in my mind. So thank you. And so that's five out of five for cleanliness of the kitchen. Hi, Mum. How many points out of three would you give me for my apple crumble? I'd give it three out of three. And why is that? The flavour of the crumble was really delicious. Um, I think the cinnamon and the ginger you put in gave it an extra kick. And the crumble had a really good texture. Thank you. I'm with my mum and I'm asking her um, how many points she would give me. I'd give you three out of three for how clean it was. It didn't even look as though anybody had been doing any baking or cooking. It was so clean. Thanks. So that was three points for how clean the kitchen was. Thank you for listening to Turbo Youth with me, Ben Philibon. And, and me, Jonathan Frischer. Send your messages to studio at redshiftonline.org and put Turbo Youth in the subject field. Bye for now. Bye.